Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14, if you don't mind, 1 Corinthians 14. Um, it's a good day. I'm glad that you're here this morning. Uh, I was thinking today, we've got some, how the Lord has used, we have a radio program on 93.3 FM, 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and how the Lord has used that. We received word this week of a lady whose spouse had passed away two years ago, and she had walked away from the church, walked away from faith, walked away from Jesus uh, for quite a while, and she happened to stumble upon uh, our Finding Hope radio program on Sunday mornings, tuned in uh, this several months ago and has been listening in every, ever since, finding her way back to Jesus, which is super exciting. And then also, one for me personally that's so, so exciting, you all know I love Christmas. Like, Christmas is just my thing, and uh, I start celebrating Christmas in, like, February and just celebrate the whole year. Well, this morning, I always check the radio program every morning to make sure that I don't sound like an idiot when they're playing it. And uh, like four months ago, the opening song to my message was Michael Jackson's Thriller, which was awesome. Then one Sunday after that, it was ZZ Top, Sharp Dressed Man, which is awesome. Well, this morning took the cake because this morning, the opening song to my message on 93.3 was You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. And I was like, I've, I've never been so happy in a moment. It's like salvation wedding day today. Like it was... This was, this was it for me. So if there's a peak of happiness, I've reached it this morning. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where we're going to land today as we talk about uh, the final week in ghost stories as we're looking at gifts of the Spirit and uh, just trying to understand some of the supernatural, the miraculous from a conservative uh, biblical worldview. And I, I just tell you this too, if you're a guest with us this morning, um, if this is a familiar topic to you, we don't teach this stuff to create ripples, we teach it to create clarity. And uh, we want to make sure that our first response is not what have you experienced, not what has your friend experienced, but what does the Bible say about certain things. And so um, that's of utmost importance to us, importance to us. We want to know what the Bible says, we want to learn from the scriptures, and we want to grow from there. So 1 Corinthians 14, if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word, we're going to read one verse in this, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. And the apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and here's what he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for your word for our gathered body of Christ today, Lord, those in the room, those listening online today. Father, we're so thankful for the freedom that we have to gather. Jesus, I pray now as we look at what can be a controversial or misunderstood subject in the scriptures, that your spirit would be among us. Father, teach us, grow us, mold us into the likeness of Jesus. Father, may we lay any preconceived ideas, understandings, or experiences uh, at the door and simply approach with the question, of what does the Bible say? So God, give us ears to hear today. Give us hearts to receive a word from you. And God, may this motivate us to action, to pursue Jesus and take the gospel everywhere we go this week. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last week, if you missed it, we talked last week about the gift of tongues and the controversial uh, nature, maybe the theology behind the gift of tongues, just trying to understand what the scriptures say, why and how do people speak in these other languages for the benefit of the local church. And if you were with us, we said, look, uh, we don't think the scripture gives a definitive ceasing point of that gift, but how it's exercised in the church is of utmost importance. And we're not certain if what we are seeing or experienced lines up with the scriptures. So really, we ended on this idea of just be cautious. Be cautious with that. Be cautious of what you've seen or experienced and always approach it of what does the Bible say 
And we're actually going to lean, me personally, I told you I lean a little bit more into the idea that it's done and that it's ceased and it served its purpose, it served its time, and Jesus is still doing the miraculous around us even without that specific gift. Well, today, as we said just a moment ago, we're going to talk about the miraculous gift of prophecy. This is one of those things, as last week was, that prophecy makes Baptist churches squirm, makes us freak out a little bit. We're a Baptist church, Southern Baptist church, and so anytime you mention the miraculous or you mention the Holy Spirit, Baptists, our toes kind of curl up and we get a little bit uncomfortable because we don't know what to do with that stuff. You mention the Holy Spirit and you're thinking like somebody just ate bad Taco Bell kind of a deal in most Baptist churches. But let me give us a working definition this morning. If you're a note taker, this will be helpful for you. And then we're going to kind of change and alter and rearrange some of these things as we look at God's word today. So prophecy, if we had to give it a working definition, would be this. Prophecy is the foretelling and the proclamation of God's word that is being revealed. Let me say that again. Prophecy is the foretelling and the proclamation of God's word that is being revealed. Note that specific word. I think it's up here as well. Notice that specific word that we use starting in the beginning, the foretelling. All right, that's an important distinction for us to make because you're going to see in our culture many times that people are claiming to have a prophetic word from God. They're claiming that they have the ability to see into the future, that God gave them this this ability to look down the corridors of time, and they know certain events that are going to happen before they've actually happened because God told them so. All right, are we all on the same page there? That's important. You're going to see people within churches, not not our church, but that claim to have um, the office of prophet, that they are a living, breathing, active prophet who hears from God, and then they proclaim those things to God's people. God gave me a special revelation to tell you is what they would often say. Now, like you, if you grew up outside of our kind of religious tribe, you've probably experienced different things around the prophetic, if we could maybe call it that, people that have claimed to have this gift. You've seen people make prophecies. I remember where I grew up, there was a billboard back in 2000-something where it said, like, the end of the world is coming, December 21st. Do you all remember that? I don't remember the year that it was. There's billboards literally all over our country. The end was coming. The prophet told us so. He was wrong. If you didn't know, you're here. He was wrong. I remember seeing those all over the place. Um, Not to get in the the political realm, because I don't think that's why we gather today, but if you get on Facebook this week or even some different social media sites, there's so-called prophets that are prophesying things over our nation right now. Both sides of the aisle right now, they're making different prophecies about those things. And as Christians, I think sometimes we see those and we're like, what? Maybe? I don't know. (laughs) That's kind of our our, our reaction to them. We're not sure how to respond to some of that stuff. But again, let's approach it with the same posture as the gift of tongues. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about this gift? And is what what they are doing, does that line up with what the scriptures teach? All right, so first, first question we need to address is this. Who or what is a prophet? So we got a lot of groundwork that we need to lay before we get to the conclusion of our answer. All right, I think there's a, a distinction in the Bible between the Old and New Testaments on the answer to that question. Who or what is a prophet? So let's start with the Old Testament because I think that's where many of us, when we think of this idea of prophecy, that's probably where we gain most of our understanding. If I say the word prophet, maybe you're not as weird as me, but when I hear the word prophet, I think of an old guy sitting on a hill with a long white beard, wearing sandals, and he has a large staff, and he holds it out over this nation or this city, and he says something weird like, the blood of the goats will fall upon your grandmother, and she will... You know know what I'm talking about? 
That's what I think of when I think of prophet because of kind of a limited understanding sometimes of what their role was in the Old Testament. So, so track with me here. First off, 39 books in the Old Testament. If you weren't, didn't know that, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. Of those 39 Old Testament books, there's basically five genres of books, okay? So the first one is the law. These are your first five books of the Bible. If you know all this stuff, maybe you learned this in Sunday school, tune out with me for the next three minutes, all right? So you got your first five books of the Bible. This is the law. This is where God told his people, the Jewish people, the rules for following him. If you're considered Jewish, God says, these are the rules that you need to follow uh, because you're one of my people. So you're going to see a lot of rules on worship, ceremonial or uh, religious worship rules. You're going to see a lot of uh, rules on diet, like don't eat pork. Praise God we don't live on that side of the timeline, right? There's going to be a lot of rules on physical things that you can't engage in or you shouldn't do. That's known as the law. That's where God was protecting his people but also setting up guidelines, barriers in which they needed to function for their safety. Okay, we're on the same page there. Then you got this next group known as the historical books. These are books like First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, Nehemiah, uh, Ezra, books like that that recount history. These were real events that happened in the lives of real people during real time, and these are written down from a historical perspective so we can look back and learn from the same mistakes and the good things that those people did. Then you're going to have another genre of books known as the poetry books and the wisdom books. So like the book of Psalms. Many of you have probably read that before. The book of Psalms is very poetic in nature. It was actually meant to be sung in the temple. When David wrote many of those psalms, they were psalms of worship, poetic worship songs written to be sung back to God. Then you got the wisdom books. So think of books like uh, Proverbs, books like Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. These are books with very practical advice on everyday living. If you remember in uh, Proverbs, Solomon wrote, pay attention to your parents or they can beat you with a stick. Some of (laughs) y'all, amen, right? We do, we're allowed to do that. Solomon said so. That wasn't in my notes. I don't know why I said it. Anyway, (laughs) then you got this very last group. This is the fifth group. This is known as the prophetic books. So there's 16 books in this specific group, and then the prophetic kind of lingers over into some of the other genres as well. But you think of major prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, that just means they were a big book. Then you have minor prophets. So you think of guys like Obadiah or uh, um, Joel, uh, Amos, some of these smaller ones. Some of you are like, there's a book called Obadiah in the Bible? I didn't even know that. All right. So you got these major and minor prophets, and these are where people wrote down words that God had given them for the nation of Israel, often predicting future events of God's judgment on these people. So what was the role of the prophet? Here it is. Here's a definition. They were the physical mouthpiece of God to the people living on earth. That was the role of a prophet. The physical mouthpiece of God written to the people on earth. So God in his sovereignty, what did he choose to do? He chose to use individuals to proclaim his message to the people on earth. His message of judgment, his message of love, his message of future events. Now, Deuteronomy 18. This is going to outline this a little bit more specifically. Look at what Moses writes about prophets. He says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. I will hold him accountable for whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. And when a prophet speaks in the Lord's name, the message does not, or the the message does not come true or it's not fulfilled. That is a message the Lord has not spoken. And listen to this. 
The prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. Now watch this. Right there, Moses outlines. So you got these prophets, 16 of them that we see in the Old Testament, saying words from God. And Moses tells us, here's what a prophet is supposed to do. He says in verse 18, they're going to speak words directly from God. That's important. They're not their own words. They're not their own understanding. These are words directly from God. They're going to speak them through speech. And we see later through writing. This is important. Their words are going to carry weight and importance to the hearer. Verse 22 says their words must be true. And you can actually read in verse 20 where Moses writes, if a prophet prophesies something and it does not come to pass, they are to be killed. Yeesh. Why is that? Because those individuals are claiming to speak on behalf of God, to speak a word from the throne room of heaven, and when it turns out to be false, they're giving God a terrible name. It's making God break promises if they claim to have a word from Him, and it doesn't come true. And God's character is such that He will never break a promise. He will never break His word. Therefore, Moses says if they speak something false, they deserve death. That was the role of an Old Testament prophet. Here's what's interesting. The last book in the Old Testament to be written was Nehemiah. Nehemiah was historical and prophetic in nature. Nehemiah was the last book, and then here's what happens. After Nehemiah is recorded, God goes silent for 400 years. After Nehemiah is written, God doesn't say one more thing to his people for 400 years. Why is that? Because the Old Testament, we call it the canon. That's the collection of Old Testament books, the 39. God was done. He had spoken what he needed to speak to his people. So the Old Testament canon was then closed until 400 years later with a guy with a long beard wearing camel skin, beard dripping with honey, and had a locust hanging out of the side of his mouth named John, stepped into the scene out of the woods with what? A new prophetic word from God. That God's Messiah that he had promised all the way back in Genesis 3 was now coming to earth. And we see God in the book of Mark for the first time ushering in a new prophetic age for his people. The Old Testament canon was closed. Now we see this new prophetic age starting where God was raising up prophets for three and a half years that walked alongside Jesus, had seen Christ's ministry, had been um, witnesses to what Jesus had done. And then what did they do? They took, this is so simple. They took what God said and they wrote it down. Why? Because they were prophets. God said this and we're going to write it down. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17 says this. Paul wrote this. He said, all Scripture, it's inspired by God. That's the, the theopanustos. That means it's, it's God-breathed. It's breathed out by the Creator. And what is it? It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Now, we don't have time to get into this. This is known as verbal plenary inspiration. You're like, I didn't know I was going to a theology class today. Chill out. We're going to get there. All right? That means that every word, every phrase in its entirety of the Bible was breathed out by God to men and they wrote it down. That's simply what it means. They were allowed to express their personality and their character in the writing, but God sovereignly orchestrated the entire thing. Every word, every phrase, the entirety of it was sovereignly orchestrated by God and they were prophets. So Paul had a prophetic gift. Guys like uh, 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 Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they were prophets. Why? Because they were writing down what God said. Now think of this, 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21. Peter writes this, Above all, you know this, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by the will of men. Instead, what happens? It's talking about prophets. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. <laughs> 
So as the Spirit is inspiring Paul and Peter and John, giving them words from the throne of heaven to write down, they begin to pen these things that ultimately formed what we know as the New Testament. And who was the very last one to get a prophetic word from God? It was John. On the island of Patmos, he had an apocalyptic revelation. That's a big word. What's that mean? It means he saw the end times. God gave him a vision of the future. He had an apocalyptic revelation where he saw what the final days were going to look like, a word from the throne of heaven. He wrote it down, and then what happened? The New Testament canon closed. God spoke. So you have all the way from Genesis all the way through the book of Malachi in our Bible, God was done, God spoke. Now you have from Matthew to Revelation, God spoke again through prophets, God was done, God spoke. And then look at this, Revelation 22, at the very end of the book, God's final prophetic word. What does it say? I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. That doesn't just mean revelation. It's the entirety of what was going to become our Bible. That if anybody adds to them, that God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. That's pretty harsh stuff. If anybody takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city, which are written about in this book. Friends, the whole point for us to see here is that through the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament prophets, God spoke. And with John, he was done. He spoke everything he needed to speak to his people. So when the apostle John finally passed away, God no longer was going to speak through prophecy to his, his people anymore. It was done. So, so let's go back to our definition. We said it was the foretelling of God's word. I think with the death of John, I think we can make the biblical argument that, that that's done. But prophecy, as we know it, is not done. This idea of this foretelling of these, these special revelations from God that ultimately became what we know as the Bible are complete. God's done speaking in that manner. The Bible is done. This book is authority. Nothing needs to be added to it. Nothing should be taken away from it. This is it. But then what, what goes on here is now in 1 Corinthians 14, we see kind of a shift occur in the church. We see a shift occur in the kingdom of God. So let's ask this second question. How does prophecy function today? We know if God's word is complete, there's no new revelation. We know that the prophets are gone with the death of John. Yet 1 Corinthians 14 talks about the gift of prophecy still in the church. Here's the distinction I want you to see if you're a note taker. This is of utmost importance. There is a difference between the office of a prophet and the gift of prophecy. Make sure you understand that distinction. There's a, a difference between the office of a prophet and the gift of prophecy. When we think of those Old Testament individuals like Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Nehemiah, they were in the office of prophet. You think of the New Testament writers, they were in the office of prophet. Meaning they were positionally placed by God to accomplish a certain role and task for the building of God's kingdom. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 and 20 says, You're no longer foreigners or strangers, but you're fellow citizens with the saints. You might have heard this before. And you're members of God's household. Built on the foundation of who? The apostles and the prophets. The foundation's been laid. It was laid by those individuals. Now God is building his church, Matthew uh, chapter 18. Matthew 16 or, or 18. 
So with the passing of John, the office is done, but the gift is still around. Now, let me give you an illustration to understand this, because this can be confusing for some people. Imagine you go home today, and there's a leak under your, your sink. You get water gushing out everywhere. So you call, you call up your, your buddy. We'll, say, we'll just use Pastor Joe, because he probably can fix it. He can fix everything. So you call up Joe, and you say, hey, Joe, i got a leak under my sink. Can you come help me fix it? He says, absolutely. I'll be there in two hours. So he comes over to your house. He says, you know what? This is actually a pretty easy fix. He said, so instead of me doing it, I'm going to show you how to do it. So you crawl under the sink there with Joe, and he shows you how to fix that leak, and he gets everything sealed back up, and every step of the way, he teaches you how to fix your sink. And so you stand back up. The fix took 15 minutes. You're done. And you look at Joe, and you say, dang, Joe, you're a really good teacher. Is, is, he, is he a teacher? No, he was a plumber. He was a plumber. But he had the gift of teaching you how to do plumbing. Now, there's people in our church that are teachers. And I guarantee you, if you were to go to their classroom tomorrow morning and watch them in their skill set, they're phenomenal teachers, just like Joe would have been teaching you how to fix your sink. But what's the difference between them and Joe? They hold an office of teacher. You see the difference? They have an office and a gift, where Joe, being the plumber, he only has the gift and not the office. There's a difference. With the passing of John, the office of prophet went away. But the gift of prophecy is still functioning in our churches today, just slightly different than how we see it in the Old Testament. You see, because no longer is the, the foretelling of God's word, here's a word that is so, we got to flip this. It's the foretelling and proclamation of God's word. It's not foretelling, it's forthtelling. It's not new revelation, it's already done revelation. It's not giving you this, this special word from the throne room of heaven. No, no, no. It's simply telling you what God's word says. It's nothing new. It's what God has already spoken. And look at with me at 1 Corinthians 14. If you've got a Bible, open it up there. I want to show you a few verses. We said last week with tongues, with this chapter, tongues was very corrective in nature in chapter 14. What's interesting is with prophecy, prophecy is encouraged in chapter 14. Whereas Paul says with tongues, he says, if you must, here's how you do it. With prophecy, Paul says, I wish you would do this. This is amazing, and this benefits the church, and you need to prophesy. This is so important. I encourage you to exercise this gift. So, some of you are like, wait a minute, can somebody like stand up and tell us like something real crazy? That would be really cool. About dragons and snakes coming out of the sky or something? Stick with me. I'm going to show you what this is. and We're going to get to the end of it. I'm going to frustrate you. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. Let me show you the framework which Paul says we have to function prophecy, and then I'm going to give you an example of it. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2, as with all spiritual gifts, they have to be done in love. We know that's important. Number two, he says if you're going to prophesy, you have to do it to build up another believer. That's important. It has to bring encouragement to another believer. Verse 3 of chapter 14. Verse 3 also says it has to bring comfort to another believer. If you prophesy to them, it must bring comfort to them. Verse 22 says it must be spoken from one believer to another believer. That's incredibly important too. Verse number 24 says it has to bring conviction if an unbeliever is in the presence of you prophesying to another individual. Why would they be under conviction? Because they don't have what you have. It's the same idea of... Uh, off the cuff. 
We've got this like movement in churches right now. Joe and I talk about this all the time of this, like, we have to get all of these people that don't know Jesus into our church building so that they can hear the gospel and get saved. We must create this attractional idea where lost people just want to come to our church because we got a really cool band and awesome coffee and a really cool environment. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But if unbelievers are constantly attracted to your church, there's a problem because they're too comfortable in it. The church should be a place where the word of God is proclaimed and preached, where the unbeliever goes, they have something I don't have. They've got Jesus, and I don't have him. So when a a person is prophesying, and we're going to explain what that means more in a second, if an unbeliever were to walk up in that conversation, they should feel conviction from the state of, I don't have what they have. How can they believe that so much? How can they find so much comfort from those words? I'm missing something that's present in that dialogue. Here's the next one. Must be done by no more than two or three people. With all spiritual gifts, it must be orderly. So how do we see this function in the local church today? You're like, you keep asking that question, just answer it for us. Remember, it's not the foretelling of God's word. So that means that prophecy as we know it now is no longer predictive of the future. If you ever hear somebody claim to be a prophet and they are predicting the future, you need to run as fast as you can. You need to run. God's done. He did that. Revelation was the end. He's not doing that anymore. It's no longer new revelation from God. Why? Because this book is complete. This is done. So if somebody tries to give you new revelation from heaven, you run. That's not from Jesus. I know that's a harsh statement, but that's true. That's not from Jesus. Here's the third one, and I never realized this until a couple weeks ago. Prophecy is not what pastors do on Sunday. We say it's the, the forth telling of God's word. That's not that's what pastors do is not prophecy. Because what I do on Sunday mornings is a, a prepared teaching. Some, sometimes you're like, really, you prepare these? Doesn't show, <laughs> right? But you actually spend time like studying this stuff, trying to, to create these kind of you know, whatever you want to call it for the benefit of the church. I want to encourage you. I want to build you up. I want to equip you. And so I don't just like wing this on Saturday nights. Like we, we prepare for these things because we want to build up the congregation. That's part of my role as a pastor. Prophecy, though, based on what we understand in the Old Testament, even the New, um, isn't that. It wasn't a prepared teaching. It was more like off the cuff. Like God told me, I'm telling you something. Old and New Testament, we see it there. So, so what is prophecy in the church? This is our big question. You ready? You're like, give us the daggone answer. I'm going to tell you through an example. Most of you know, I'm going to use him as an example again, Joe, obviously, our associate worship pastor. I could make a very strong biblical argument right now that Pastor Joe has the gift of prophecy. You're like, what, really? I've never heard him predict anything about dragons and snakes and fire falling from the earth. It's because that's not what it is. It's the forth telling of God's word. And here's why I would tell you he has the gift of prophecy. Two months ago, I was sitting in this lobby. We had a counseling appointment with somebody in our church. Just going through some really tough times, wrestling through life and several different things that they were kind of sorting through. I try most of the time not to do counseling appointments by myself. It's helpful to have another person there. So I often bring Joe with me. And as they began to share, most of you know my gift is not counseling at all. If, if people come to my office and they're crying, I'm like, here's a pencil. Like, I don't know what you want from me. I don't know what to do with this. And so this individual, as they were kind of sharing what was going on in their life and they're processing through so many emotions and all this kind of stuff, um, I'm sitting there like sweating bullets. And Joe's sitting in the, the, the seat next to me. Because in my brain, I'm sitting there going, 
okay, they're, they're dealing with loss and, you know, just trying to figure out what God's purpose for their life is. And they're going just through so many things. And in my head, I'm sitting there going, okay, I don't even know what I'm going to say next because if, if I say this, I'm going to sound like an idiot. And I don't think this is helpful. And like in, inside, like I'm dying. And I'm just trying to find like random things to cling to that they said. Or I could be like, oh, you know, that really is a good point. Have you, have you maybe thought about this? In my head, I'm going, you're the worst counselor ever. You're going to do more damage than you are good. Why? I don't have the gift of prophecy. Joe, on the other hand, as they're literally pouring out their heart to to Joe and myself and processing through this emotion, he doesn't even think about it in that moment. He leans over in his chair and he goes, yeah, but do you remember what happened to Paul in Acts chapter 23? And he was shipwrecked. And he starts telling them about Acts 23. And then he goes, actually, do you remember what James said where you considered all joy, my brothers, when you experienced various trials? And he said, but then as I'm thinking about it, you know, Philippians 2 actually says that, that we need to be joyful people and walk in humility, knowing Jesus is going to complete everything. But actually, you know, Paul also said over here, but then Peter wrote this and John said this. And for like 20 minutes, he's just overflowing and regurgitating God's word to this individual in our church. And I'm sitting there going, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Friends, that's prophecy. He didn't give new revelation. He didn't give some apocalyptic future. He said, let me tell you what God said. And I've asked him, I asked him this morning. I said, do you prepare for that kind of stuff? His exact words to me. No, sometimes I just start talking and see what happens. (laughs) Why? Because I believe he has the gift of prophecy. And I told my wife last night, I said, I, said, I, I can't think of another person that has that. I don't, I don't know anybody. Many of you know a lot of Scripture. God's blessed me. I, I, I know quite a bit. But I can't quote it in those moments. But the Lord supernaturally has gifted our associate pastor with that ability, and it's amazing to watch. Because I'm here to... I mean, Joe, I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> There's some times where Joe and I are working together, we're doing something, we're, we're getting something done, and that gift is not present. There's times where Joe and I are talking, and, and what he says, I'm like, dude, shut up. <laughs> I don't know if you can say that from the pulpit. I'm just like, I don't know what you're talking about right now. And then in like 10 minutes later, when he sits down to encourage somebody in our church and to try to help them through a difficult time, It's like all of a sudden the Spirit of God just wells up inside of him and he just begins proclaiming the word to them. It's incredible. Many of you have experienced this through conversations with him. And let me explain to you why I believe this is a gift of prophecy more than what I just said. I don't think I have the gift of prophecy. Sometimes the Lord has given me special occasions, but I don't think I have that gift. What's interesting with Pastor Joe is so often, when he first started preaching here at our church three years ago, it used to take him, I'm not exaggerating, a month to prepare a sermon. It was, it was wild, didn't it? It stressed him out. And here's what's interesting about Joe. If I were to tell him this afternoon that next week I need him to preach on something, it would ruin his week. Not because he doesn't want to do it, but because it takes him so much time. He's a thinker. He wants to process through things. He wants to find every commentary ever written on a certain subject. He's going to follow every rabbit trail till it's dead. Every conversation you have with him that week will be about what he's going to preach on. I guess just the way he is. It'll drive him crazy trying to figure it out. Yet at the very same breath, let me give you an example. Let's say that I told Joe I wanted him um, to, to preach next week on humility. Okay, It would drive him nuts this whole week. 
yet. If I were to go in that office right now with Joe, and I were to say, hey, Pastor Joe, I feel like pride is welling up in my life and I'm struggling to be humble. And I know the Lord's convicting me of this and I need to deal with it. Boom. Off to the races he would go. And he would just start quoting scripture back to me about what I need to do and what God's word says and how that's going to be helpful to me and all this kind of crazy. You see the difference? One's a prepared teaching, that's, that's preaching, but then you got these folks with the gift of prophecy that can just, the Lord overflows from them and they just speak God's truth to you. It's not the foretelling of God's word, it's the foretelling. It's not because he memorized scripture, it's because the spirit of God is exercising this gift within him that he has given him. So to answer the question, is prophecy still functioning and alive and well in the church today? Yes, it is. It's not the way that often we have thought it is. It's not the stuff that you're seeing on your social media feed. Turn that off. None of that stuff is true. But it's individuals who have been gifted by the Holy Spirit to take the word of God and proclaim it to the people of God off the cuff to bring encouragement, to build up the body of Christ, to ultimately mobilize us with the gospel all over the place. That's what prophets do nowadays. And if you've been on the receiving end of it, you know you have. So some of y'all are going to walk up to Joe after church and be like, man, I got this issue, go. (laughs) Don't do that. It doesn't work all the time, I don't think. Friends, I hope that's helpful for you, to you. I hope that encourages you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thanks for your word. God, I pray that, that my feeble efforts today bring glory to the kingdom. And I pray that my feeble efforts, um, Lord, equip and build up your church today. God, I pray that you take any false ideas, assumptions, experiences, no matter how real they may have seemed, Lord. And by simply asking the question, what does the Bible say? Lord, we would rightly live out the teachings of your word. God, I thank you so much for this church, what you're doing in our church, Lord. God, continue to move among us, build us, equip us, mobilize us to be Jesus to a world, my goodness, Lord, that so desperately needs it. We love you, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.